Chapter Eleven, Section Two of Children of the Ghetto by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Eleven: Esther and Her Children, Part Two. The holiday did not pass without an outbreak of this sort. It occurred about tea time. Perhaps the infants were fractious because there was no tea. Esther had to economize her resources, and a repast at seven would serve for both tea and supper. Among the poor, combination meals are as common as combination beds and chests. Esther had quieted Sarah by slapping Isaac, but this made Isaac howl, so the gain was dubious. She had to put a fresh piece of coal on the fire and sing to them while their shadows consorted themselves grotesquely on the beds, and then upwards along the sloping walls, terminating with twisted necks on the ceiling. Esther usually sang melancholy things in minor keys. They seemed most attuned to the dim, straggling room. There was a song her mother used to sing. It was taken from a Purim spiel, itself based upon a midrash one of the endless legends with which the people of one book have broidered it, amplifying every minute detail with all the exuberance of oriental imagination, and justifying their fancies with all the ingenuity of a race of lawyers. After his brethren sold Joseph to the Midianite merchants, the lad escaped from the caravan, and wandered footsore and hungry to Bethlehem, to the grave of his mother, Rachel. He threw himself upon the ground and wept aloud and sang to a heart-breaking melody in Yiddish, Und high weist mir, wie schlecht ist doch mir, ich bin vertreiben geworden, junger heit von dir. Whereas the English runs, Alas, woe is me, how wretched to be, driven away and banished, yet so young from thee. Whereupon the voice of his beloved mother, Rachel, was heard from the grave, comforting him and bidding him to be of good cheer, for that his future should be great and glorious. Esther could not sing this without the tears trickling down her cheeks. Was it that she thought of her own dead mother and applied the lines to herself? Isaac's ill-humour scarcely ever survived the anodyne of these mournful cadences. There was another melodious wail, which Alti Belkovich had bought from Poland. The chorus ran, Man nemt weg, die chazonim von die kolos, hi hi didere didere. They tear away their lovers from the maidens, hi didere didere. The air mingled to the melancholy of Polish music with the sadness of Jewish, and the words hinted of God knew what, of unhappy far-off things and battles long ago. And so over all the songs and stories was the trail of tragedy, under all the heartache of a hunted race. There are few more plaintive chants in the world than the recitation of the psalms by the B'nai Bris on Sabbath afternoons, amid the gathering shadows of twilight. 
Esther often stood in the passage to hear it, morbidly fascinated, tears of pensive pleasure in her eyes. Even the little Yiddish story-book which Moses Ansell read at night to his kinder, after tea-supper, by the light of one candle, was prefaced with a note of pathos. These stories, it read, have we gathered together from the Gomorrah and the Midrash, wonderful stories, and we have translated the beautiful stories using the Hebrew alphabet, so that every one, little or big, shall be able to read them, and shall know that there is a God in the world who forsaketh not his people Israel, and who, even for us, will likewise work miracles and wonders, and will send us the righteous Redeemer speedily in our days. Amen. Of the same Messiah the children heard endless tales. Oriental fancy had been exhausted in picturing him for the consolation of exiled and suffering Israel. Before his days there would be a wicked Messiah of the house of Joseph. Later a king with one ear deaf to hear good, but acute to hear evil. There would be a scar on his forehead, one of his hands would be an inch long, and the other three miles, apparently a subtle symbol of the persecutor. The Yiddish story-book had also extracts from the famous romance or diary of Eldad the Danite, who professed to have discovered the lost ten tribes. Eldad's book appeared toward the end of the ninth century, and became the Arabian Nights of the Jews, and it had filtered down through the ages into the Ansel Garret, in common with many other tales from the rich storehouse of medieval folklore, in the diffusion of which the wandering Jew has played so great a part. Sometimes Moses read to his charmed hearers the description of heaven and hell by Emmanuel, the friend and contemporary of Dante, sometimes a Yiddish version of Robinson Crusoe. Tonight he chose Eldad's account of the tribe of Moses dwelling beyond the wonderful river Sambachon, which never flows on the Sabbath. There is also the tribe of Moses, our just master, it read, which is called the tribe which flees, because it fled from idol-worship and clung to the fear of God. A river flows round their land for a distance of four days' journey on every side. They dwell in beautiful houses, provided with handsome towers which they have built themselves. There is nothing unclean among them, neither in the case of birds, venison, or domesticated animals. There are no wild animals, no flies, no foxes, no vermin, no serpents, no dogs, and in general nothing which does harm. They have only sheep and cattle, which bear twice a year. They sow and reap. There are all sorts of gardens, with all kinds of fruits and cereals, viz. melons, beans, gourds, onions, garlic, wheat, and barley, and the seed grows a hundredfold. They have faith. They know the Torah, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and the Agada but their Talmud is in Hebrew. They introduce their sayings in the name of the fathers, the wise men, 
who heard them from the mouth of Joshua, who himself heard from the mouth of God. They have no knowledge of the Tanaim, doctors of the Mishnah, and Amoraim, doctors of the Talmud, who flourished during the time of the Second Temple, which was, of course, not known to these tribes. They speak only Hebrew, and are very strict as regards the use of wine made by others than themselves, as well as the rules of slaughtering animals. In this respect the law of Moses is much more rigorous than that of the tribes. They do not swear by the name of God for fear that their breath may leave them, and they become angry with those who swear. They reprimand them, saying, Woe, you poor! Why do you swear with the mention of the name of God upon your lips? Use your mouth for eating bread and drinking water. Do you not know that for the sin of swearing your children die young? And in this way they exhort every one to serve God with fear and integrity of heart. Therefore the children of Moses, the servants of God, live long, to the age of a hundred or a hundred and twenty years. No child, be it son or daughter, dies during the lifetime of its parents, but they reach a third and fourth generation to see grandchildren and great-grandchildren with their offspring. They do all field work themselves, having no male or female servants. They are also merchants among them. They do not close their houses at night, for there is no thief or any wicked man among them. Thus a little lad might go for days with his flock without fear of robbers, demons, or danger of any other kind. They are indeed all holy and clean. These Levites busy themselves with the law and the commandments, and they still live in the holiness of our master Moses. Therefore God has given them all this good. Moreover they see nobody and nobody sees them, except the four tribes who dwell on the other side of the rivers of Cush. They see them and speak to them, but the river Sambation is between them, as it is said, that thou mayst say to prisoners, Go forth. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 9 They have plenty of gold and silver. They sow flax and cultivate the crimson worm and make beautiful garments. Their number is double or four times the number that went from Egypt. The river Sambation is two hundred yards broad, about as far as a bow-shot full of sand and stones, but without water. The stones make a great noise like the waves of the sea and a stormy wind so that in the night the noise is heard at a distance of half a day's journey. There are sources of water which collect themselves in one pool, out of which they water the fields. There are fish in it, and all kinds of clean birds fly round about it. And this river of stone and sand rolls during the six working days, and rests on the Sabbath day. As soon as the Sabbath begins, fire surrounds the river, and the flames remain till the next evening, when the Sabbath ends. Thus no human being can reach the river for a distance of half a mile on either side. 
the fire consumes all that grows there. The four tribes, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, stand on the borders of the river. When shearing their flocks there, for the land is clean and flat without any thorns, if the children of Moses see them gathered together on the border, they shout, saying, Brethren, tribes of Yeshurun, show us your camels, dogs, and asses, and they make their remarks about the length of the camel's neck and the shortness of the tail. Then they greet one another and go their way. When this was done, Solomon called for hell. He liked to hear about the punishment of the sinners. It gave a zest to life. Moses hardly needed a book to tell him about hell. It had no secrets for him. The Old Testament has no reference to a future existence, but the poor Jew has no more been able to live without the hope of hell than the poor Christian. When the wicked man has waxed fat and kicked the righteous skinny man, shall the two lie down in the same dust and the game be over? Perish the thought. One of the hells was that in which the sinner was condemned to do over and over again what he had done in life. "'Why, that must be jolly,' said Solomon. "'No, it is frightful,' maintained Moses Ansel. He spoke in Yiddish, the children in English. "'Of course it is,' said Esther. "'Just fancy, Solomon, having to eat toffee all day.' "'It's better than eating nothing all day.' replied Solomon. "'But to eat it every day, for ever and ever,' said Moses, "'there's no rest for the wicked.' "'What, not even on the Sabbath?' said Esther. "'Oh, yes, of course, then, like the river Sambation, even the flames of hell rest on the Sabbath.' "'Haven't they got no fire, guys?' inquired Ikey, and everybody laughed. Shabbos is a holiday in hell, Moses explained to the little one. So thou seest the result of thy making out Sabbath too early on Saturday night. Thou sendest the poor souls back to their tortures before the proper time. Moses never lost an opportunity of enforcing the claims of the ceremonial law. Esther had a vivid picture flashed upon her of poor yellow hook-shaped souls floating sullenly back towards the flames. Solomon's chief respect for his father sprang from the halo of military service encircling Moses ever since it leaked out through the lips of the booby that he had been a conscript in Russia and had been brutally treated by the sergeant. But Moses could not be got to speak of his exploits. Solomon pressed him to do so especially when his father gave symptoms of inviting him to the study of Gomorrah. Tonight Moses brought out the big book and said, "'Come, Solomon, enough of stories. We must learn a little.' "'Today's a holiday,' grumbled Solomon. "'It is never a holiday for the study of the law.' "'Only this once, father. Let's play draughts.' Moses weakly yielded. Draughts was his sole relaxation, and when Solomon acquired a draught board by barter, his father taught him the game. Moses played the Polish variety, 
in which the men are like English kings that leap backwards and forwards, and the kings shoot diagonally like bishops at chess. Solomon could not withstand these gigantic grasshoppers, whose stopping-places he could never anticipate. Moses won every game to-night, and was full of glee, and told the kinder another story. It was about the Emperor Nicholas, and is not to be found in the official histories of Russia. Nicholas was a wicked king, who oppressed the Jews, and made their lives sore and bitter. And one day he made it known to the Jews that if a million roubles were not raised to him in a month's time, they should be driven from their homes. Then the Jews prayed unto God and besought him to help them for the merits of their forefathers, but no help came. Then they tried to bribe the officials, but the officials pocketed their gold, and the emperor demanded his tax. Then they went to the great masters of Kabbalah, and they said, Can you do nothing for us? Then the masters of Kabbalah took counsel together, and at midnight they called up the spirits of Avraham Avinu, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Eliahu the prophet, who wept to hear of their children's sorrows. And Abraham our father, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Elijah the prophet, took the bed whereupon Nicholas the emperor slept, and transported it to a wild place. And they took Nicholas the emperor out of his warm bed, and whipped him soundly, so that he yelled for mercy. Then they asked, Wilt thou rescind the edict against the Jews? And he said, I will. But in the morning Nicholas the Emperor woke up, and called for the chief of the bedchamber, and said, How darest thou allow my bed to be carried into the middle of the night in the forest? And the chief of the bedchamber grew pale, and said that the Emperor's guards had watched all night outside the door neither was there space for the bed to pass out. And Nicholas the Emperor, thinking he had dreamed, let the man go unhung. But the next night, lo, the bed was transported again to the wild place, and Abraham our father, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Elijah the prophet, drubbed him doubly. And again he promised to remit the tax. So in the morning the chief of the bedchamber was hanged, and at night the guards were doubled. But the bed sailed away to the wild place, and Nicholas the Emperor was trebly whipped. Then Nicholas the Emperor annulled the edict, and the Jews rejoiced and fell at the knees of the masters of the Kabbalah. But why can't they save the Jews altogether? queried Esther. Ah, said Moses, mysteriously, Kabbalah is a great force, and must not be abused. The holy name must not be mentioned too often. Could the masters of the Kabbalah make men? inquired Esther, who had recently come across Frankenstein. Certainly, said Moses, and what is more, it stands written that Reb Chanina and Reb O'Shea fashioned a fine fat calf on Friday, and enjoyed it on the Sabbath. 
Oh, father, said Solomon piteously, don't you know Kabbalah? End of chapter 11